God is good. Let me uh, rush to this passage in Exodus chapter 8 as we continue our series, uh, Free at Last. And this morning, we've entitled this sermon, The God of Distinction. The God of Distinction. Listen to the Word of God from Exodus 8, beginning at verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day... I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. The Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarm of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going uh, out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may uh, depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Can you turn down my mic for a second? Let's pray. Father, we give you praise, glory, honor, and thanks. We thank you for this word, and we thank you for uh, your faithfulness, Lord, through the power of your spirit in ministering us, ministering to us through your word. And we pray this morning, as all of us sit under the authority of your word, we pray that you will speak. Father, we pray that you will speak and do that work in us by the power of your spirit through your word transform us, make us more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, last week when we baptized uh, Judah Bowman, I, I read a statement from our directory of worship that explains in part what, what the sacrament of bat baptism means for our children. The, the directory of worship reads, therefore, by the covenant sign of baptism, the children of believers are to be distinguished from the world and solemnly admitted into the visible church. And of course, in all our baptisms, 
Uh, this distinguishing from the world is, is sign that is visibly represented and sealed, affirmed uh, to Christians. This is why we are encouraged uh, in the baptism of our children to consider our own baptism, to consider that, that in this sacrament, God has put his name on us, has claimed us as his own. And our children, of course, in order to receive all the benefits of that distinction, they, they have to put their faith in Jesus as well for themselves. Yet God's distinguishing them from the world as, as a sign and seal of what He's holding out to them and, and what, he already, what He's already done in baptism for all those who have put their hope in Him. That's what's happening in the sacrament. So, so why, why do I bring this up in relation to the, to the text before us? Uh, it, it's because God, in working His salvation in the world, makes distinctions. He makes distinctions. In his confrontation with Pharaoh, his gods, in his confrontation with Pharaoh, his gods, his people, and his empire, God shows himself, his power, his people, and his kingdom to be distinct. And of course, unlike many of our, our motivations in, in distinguishing, God's distinctions are not grounded in ethnic superiority. God's distinctions aren't, aren't grounded in, in, in gender superiority. God's uh, distinctions aren't grounded in national superiority or socioeconomic superiority or the like. God's distinctions are grounded in the truth that beside Him, there is no other Savior. And, and outside His kingdom, there is no hope for salvation and all the blessings that flow from it. In this plague, in this, in this plague before us, God makes overt what has been implicit all along that there is a difference between his kingdom and those who are participants in it and Pharaoh's kingdom and those who are participants in it. F Pharaoh's kingdom is one that oppresses and, and creates oppressors, whereas God's kingdom is one that saves and creates messengers of that salvation in the world. What I'm suggesting, brothers and sisters, is that God's distinguishing between His people and Pharaoh's people, as the text says, isn't about who experiences hardship and who doesn't. For Israel was still enduring the greater hardship given their condition as slaves in Egypt. Remember that while all this is going on, they are still under taskmasters. They are still serving the interests of Pharaoh in Egypt through their hard labor. They are still subject to the policing of the states. They, they are still subject to poor health as a result of their service. They're still subject to harm being done to their children. Still, still subject to the hatred of the Egyptian populace. Still subject to, to, to a multiplicity of issues that attend slavery in any society. No, no, the distinction that God was making in this play was a precursor to what He was about to do in his deliverance of his people from Egypt altogether. It, it was a statement, if you will, a, a proclamation, if you prefer, to, to his people on the one hand and to Pharaoh and his people on the other hand, that he controls the world, that, that the nations belong to him, that, that time belongs to him, that, that the elements belong to him, that, that judgment belongs to him, that history belongs to him, that salvation belongs to him. He, he was demonstrating that, that the only real hope of deliverance was in him. And let me tell you why this should matter to Christians and, and to non-Christians alike. It matters because in setting us apart as his own, God is not first and foremost signaling our specialness, but his specialness. 
Let me say that again. (laughs) In saving us, in distinguishing us, in making us distinct, God is not first and foremost signaling our specialness, but His specialness. Our specialness is being tied to Him who is special, to Him who is distinguished above all. That's why God repeats in verse 22 what He has said before, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. What did God God say to His people before entering into the promised land? What did He say to them? He said, "It, it was not because you were more in number than the other people, that the Lord has set His love on you and and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 8. And and what does Paul say? What does does Paul say? What does the apostle Paul say in, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 26 to 30, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise by worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose, watch this, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. <laughs> you, you didn't just hear what Paul did. Paul, Paul just said, God chose what is foolish. It, it wasn't because you were wise. You, you still missed it. it. It's not because you're special. It's not because you're good. It's not because you're great. You actually were fools. And so to to shame the wise, God chose what was weak in the world. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And why did he do it? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of him, you are in Christ. No, d- distinguishing us, distinguishing us from the world is, isn't about, uh, it, it isn't about saying, look at us. Uh, rather, it is about saying what those from my, from my Christian heritage would say when God did something incredible. They would say, look at God. Look at God. So how does God show, how does God in this text show himself as the, as the God of distinction? How does he show himself as the God of distinction? I want, I want to suggest to you, hang in there with me. Don't check out, because I'm not making a political statement. Some of y'all are going to think that I'm saying I'm not. Don't check out. God shows himself as the God of distinction by turning social privilege on its head. What do I mean? Listen again to verses 22 to 23. Uh, 21, 23. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians... The houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also on the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. In this plague, I want to suggest to you that in this plague, God was not only showing his his control over nature, which he had already done, by the way, in in the previous plagues, he he was demonstrating uh, in this plague what was and is a major distinctive of God's kingdom. God's kingdom has a commitment to humble the proud and raise up the humbled. To humble the proud and to raise up the humbled. 
And the pride and humility of which I speak isn't just a pride and humility of the heart, but a pride and humility uh, uh, that is born out in our, in our relationships with one another. Uh, this, this whole, I want you to remember this, this whole oppressive mess began because Pharaoh, his administration, and his people made a distinction. This whole mess started because they made a distinction between themselves and the people of Israel. This whole oppressive mess began because of that. They decided that another people group was a threat and a danger to their interests. And so in their proud, in their proud and oppressive minds, they needed to deal with that people in a way that diminished that threat and ensured that they would always know that they were less than, that they were other, that they were foreign, that they were outsider. But the glory, I want you to hear me, the glory and beauty of God's kingdom is that it turns these oppressive distinctions and their practical impact on their head. God was signaling in his confrontation with Pharaoh and in and and, and the distinction that he was about to make between Pharaoh and his people and the Lord's people, that in his kingdom, the pride that creates these oppressive distinctions is going to be done away with. It's going to be judged. It's going to be condemned. The, the, the quality of life that Pharaoh has gained for himself and for his own people will now be disturbed, troubled, and unsettled in order that Pharaoh will know that whereas his distinction brings slavery and death, God's distinctions bring salvation and life. I'm I'm going to confront you in such a way, Pharaoh, in which I make you understand that what you have built on your oppressive ideas and your oppressive power is going to be judged and condemned, and what I am going to build is going to last. because it will not be built on those distinctions that you have made. God's salvation brings, God's distinction brings salvation in life. It brings salvation in life because God's distinction isn't rooted in race. It isn't rooted in class. It isn't rooted in gender. It isn't rooted in the like. Rather, his distinction is rooted in covenant. God's distinction is rooted in in, in covenant, God's distinction is rooted in His promise to be God to all who humble themselves and look to Him for salvation. Is that really, is that really here in this narrative, Pastor? Is that really here? Uh, just consider what God will say to His people just a few chapters from now when He's instituting the Passover. In chapter 12, He says this, verse 48. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. Watch this. He shall be as a native of the land. (laughs) Some of you missed it again. (laughs) When he's circumcised and he comes near to keep the Passover, Even if he's a stranger and a foreigner, he's not an Israelite by birth. He doesn't share your ethnic heritage. He doesn't come from your people. He he doesn't live where your people lived. He doesn't doesn't uh, view life in the same way your people view life. But when he comes to the Lord and puts his face in the Lord, you are to treat him as if he was a native of the land. Because in my covenant, 
The distinction is not about the color of people's skin. It's not about what community they have hailed from. It is about whether or not they have put their faith in me, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so God says, God says to his people, he says to his people, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law, watch this, for the native and one law for the stranger. (laughs) Not two different laws, but one law. I'm going to get in trouble. Not segregated laws. But one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So pay attention to the stress on on he shall be as a native in the land. And putting a distinction between Pharaoh and his people and God's people, God was preparing his people for the kind of kingdom he was building, a kingdom where the world's social privilege is turned on its head. What Pharaoh has built is a kingdom rooted in oppression, ethnic superiority, fear, mistreatment of vulnerable people like women and children. What God is building is something where those people, those people become the focus of His people's care, the focus of their love, the focus of their concern and their service. And judging Pharaoh, God is judging the kingdom that Pharaoh has built and signaling to His people and all who are watching that His kingdom will not be like Pharaoh's kingdom. I'm making a distinction, God says. <laughs> between the kingdoms of this world and my kingdom. The call here, brothers and sisters, is to live in this distinction. It is to live in this distinction through faith in the Lord. One of Israel's persistent struggles, and you'll know this if you, if you read the Bible, you will know this, that one of Israel's persistent struggles throughout the biblical narrative was her constant longing to be like the nations around her. Her, her constant longing and struggle to, to, to be like the nations around her. And I, I, don't, I don't mean like the nations in terms of being a people made up of the nations, but, but like the nations in terms of power and privilege and money and influence and the like. And, and, and this often led to Israel being the opposite of what God, in distinguishing His people from the nations, was seeking to build. And so at times, Throughout Israel's history, the poor in her midst were exploited. Widows and orphans were neglected. Strangers and foreigners were mistreated. This is what happens when we want to be like the world. I'm going to say that again. This is what happens when we want to be like the world. This is what happens when the attractions of money and the attractions of power, and the attractions of privilege, and the attractions of influence and the like grab a hold of us. We start despising the calling for which we were set apart. We start despising the calling for which we were set apart by God. God God is going to say things to His people, uh, for instance, like this, because you were slaves in Egypt, you are to treat, insert category, a vulnerable person, you ought to treat them with love. Because you were a foreigner, you you know what it's like, in other words, God is saying, to be in that condition. So you are to treat the foreigner among you with love. In other words, your experience 
and my distinguishing you as my people means rejecting Pharaoh's way and walking in mine. In my kingdom, you don't discard discarded children. You come alongside of them, working to restore them to family where you can and taking them up as your own where you can't. In my kingdom, you don't enslave people, forcing them to work solely so you can maximize profit for yourself. You pay people a wage upon which they can support themselves and others. In my kingdom, you don't oppress, you don't speak evil of, you don't mistreat those foreign to your own people simply to bolster your own ethnic pride. You celebrate, you protect, you affirm the image of God in those who are like you and those who are not like you. God's distinction, God, God demonstrates himself as a God of distinction by turning social privilege on its head. But he also does one, on the, on, the, on the other side of that coin, he also does it, watch this, by a long-suffering approach toward his enemies. A long-suffering, patient approach toward his enemies. Listen again, uh, beginning at verse 25. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, he said, go sacrifice to God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God. They're an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, they will, they, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. The Lord did as, as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. There, there are a number of things happening in these verses, but I wanna, what I most want to impress upon you from these verses is a characteristic of our God that makes him the God of distinction. And that characteristic is God's long-suffering heart toward his enemies. In verses 25 to 29, we, we see what, uh, what was, in a, uh, what was uh, a common practice uh, in conflicts in the ancient Near East, bargaining or negotiating, uh, as I called it last week. Uh, Pharaoh offers a concession to God through Moses, which he knows at this point is less than what God is demanding. What he offers, according to Douglas Stewart in his commentary on Exodus, is little more than a national holiday to be observed inside Egypt. In other words, I, I'm not going to relieve the oppression. I won't change the laws, uh, the customs, the practices that, that have made your life uh, hard, but I will give you a day off. <laughs> I'll give you a day off. I, I'll give you some time to reflect on your people's contribution to the greater Egyptian society. Oh, wait a minute. I'm thinking about another story. <laughs> what's troubling, what's troubling, what's troubling, what's troubling about what Pharaoh offers 
is that he knows, as Moses will point out to him, that what he offers is certainly going to create more trouble for the people of Israel, a people already oppressed and already despised by many in Egypt because of their religion, their culture, their practices, the like. So Pharaoh's offer, as my kids would say, it's actually trash. It's a trash offer because it's not going as far as God wants him to go. And this is often the case (laughs) in our human attempts at justice. Our selfish motivations to protect our own interests often leaves us negotiating for something less than justice, even when we know the God of heaven and earth demands it. I could camp out on that point, but let me, let me, let me rush to the main point I want to impress upon you this morning. <laughs> As we read uh, this bargaining and, and this negotiating, we, we can't help but ask this question. Why is God wasting his time with this man? Why is God wasting his time with this man? Even more, let me say it this way. Why does God agree to lift the plague from Pharaoh and his people when he knows that Pharaoh is not serious about following through on any of the promises that he makes? God knows that Pharaoh is not reliable. Indeed, it is God himself who, said, who, who has said will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will stubbornly refuse to listen. So, so why is God putting up with this foolishness? Hey, hasn't Israel been through enough? I mean, 400 years is a long time, God. It's a long time. This is where the apostle Peter can help us, help us out. Because he gives us the central answer to God's patience with his enemies. One that we actually need for the humbling of our own hearts before God. He tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yeah. The Lord knows Pharaoh will not listen, but he also knows that inside of Egypt are thousands of souls, men, women, and children, who in witnessing his great acts of salvation will turn from their allegiance to the oppressive powers of Egypt and toward the Lord. And it is these people whom he will describe in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse 38, as a mixed multitude that will leave Egypt with Israel and form that community of those foreigners and strangers whom God will draw into the community of his people. It is a precursor to that community that will, that will become in Jesus a people from every tribe, people, language, and nation. God is patient, brothers and sisters, because he has purposes bigger than the salvation of my and my people alone, purposes that are not ignorant of my condition, dismissive of my condition, nor unconcerned about my condition. Israel is coming out of Egypt, but she isn't coming out alone. 
Israel will be delivered from Egypt, but she will not be delivered alone. Egyptians will come up out of Egypt, and, and other people groups will come up out of Egypt with Israel, and they will form those people whom God says, because you were slaves in Egypt, those people who have come out with you, you are to treat them with love and kindness and grace. My purposes, my purposes, my, my, my purposes are big, <laughs> and they're bigger than just what I am doing for you and in you. <laughs> Can I ask you a question this morning? Who's your enemy? Who, 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 who is your enemy? Who, 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 who do you look like? Who, who, who do you look at? Who do you look at like, ooh, I can't stand those folk. They get under my skin. I know some of y'all are too holy for such thoughts, for which I am grateful. I mean that. Some of you exhibit a love that is, that is exemplary, exemplary in this regard. Yet for other of us, others of us, you, you know what I'm talking about. The folk who make you go, ooh, we Lord, have mercy. The answer, of course, isn't always racial or even gender. For some of us, it's the poor. <laughs> For some of us, it is the poor, the very people whom God calls us to minister to and among. When, when, when those middle class values start to clash with, with those subsistence survival values of the poor, Oh, we Lord, have mercy. Who's your enemy? Do you hate progressives? Do you hate conservatives? Do you hate immigrants? Do you hate white people? Can, can we talk? Can we talk for real in the house of God? Do you hate white people? You hate black people? Do you hate Asians? Do you hate Latinx people? Who is your enemy? Let, let me be even more clear. Who is that person or group of people who you perceive have done you wrong or have done wrong to you in point of fact? For the enemies with whom God was showing tremendous patience were the very people who were participating in a program that was doing his people harm. I ask this question because in coming to grips with the call of Christianity, you will have to come to grips with this call to trust in and walk in God's long-suffering patience with His enemies in order that He might win those among them who are trapped under the oppressiveness of that condition of being His enemies. If I said, how many of you are grateful that God was patient with you, how many of you would raise your hand? I'm so grateful that God is patient with me, that He's long-suffering, that even when I mess up, I can go to Him and ask His forgiveness, and He will what? He will forgive me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, even though He knows 
that after he forgives me and cleanses me from all unrighteousness, what am I going to do? Run right back in the mess from which he delivered me. And then I'm going to say, God, forgive me. And he's going to cleanse me and forgive me. And then I'm going to run right back in the mess. And then I'm going to say, God, forgive me. And he's going to say, I forgive you and I cleanse you. And then I'm going to run right back. And every single time, I fail. I turn to God and I celebrate in this place His long suffering, His kindness, His patience, His mercy, His grace. I want it for myself. I just don't want it for the people I don't like. I want God to get rid of them. I want God to punish them. I want God to come down on them. I want God to make them feel my wrath. But when I sin, I want to say, God, forgive me and cleanse me and heal me and be patient with me, God, while you work on me. <laughs> and, I, and I want to tell you this more. I want to encourage God, God's long-suffering, His patience. It's not non-confrontational. That is, God does not ignore His enemy's actions. He calls out the evil they do. He challenges them away from that evil. He works to protect those who are the victims of it. Patience is not antithetical to the pursuit of justice, but God's accomplishment of justice, a justice that works for the redemption of of enemies as well as friends, requires patience and (laughs) long-suffering. You know what that means? It means prayer and lots of it. This means saying, stay, staying at the throne of grace in order that our purposes might become aligned with God's purposes. Anyone you have seen, anyone you have seen, love their enemies well are those who have spent long hours before the throne of God in prayer. Just go back and read the Gospels and read of those times where Jesus draws away by himself to pray. Because he knows after prayer, he's got to come in and deal with. They pray. They like Moses. Like Moses, they, they take the hard-heartedness of their enemies to God, asking for his supernatural help, which at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, is the only power that can break through that hard-heartedness. No, Pharaoh wasn't going to change his mind. We know the story. Pharaoh wasn't going to change his mind, but many of the Egyptians would. And for the sake of their salvation, God endures with a fool. And I can use that word fool because I mean that biblically, by the way. Someone who does not know God and does not intend to know him. Man. What a God. What a God. What a God. Centuries. God adored. God endured centuries 
of seeing the brokenness that was done to his people so that he can save others who were trapped under Egypt's oppression. I don't know about you. That God is worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory and honor and praise. No wonder when we read the book of Revelation, all the angels and all the creatures on heaven and earth and all the creatures in heaven and earth praise and worship him. Because he's good. Because he's good. Let me, let me close with this verse from John 15. Spoken to his disciples and, and by extension spoken to us. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. No, we are, we are not of the twelve, but we are the community of Jesus built on their teaching. And as the helper was with them to bear witness about the Lord as a distinctive community over against the world, so we are in our generation. So we are in our generation. So can I encourage us? Let's embrace that distinctiveness. Let's live in that distinctiveness. Let, let, let's be thankful for that distinctiveness. Let, let's throw off all, 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 of the, all, all of what the world is trying to lead us into, and let, let's remember who we are in Christ as His community. Let's live in that distinctiveness in our generation. Let's embrace it and live in it to the glory of God, to the glory of His Son, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen, people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. That you, that you, that you have won our salvation through the work of Jesus Christ and that you have, as you say, set us apart from the world. Made, made us a distinctive community over against the world, not, 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 a, not as a means of, of celebrating our specialness, but celebrating your specialness and communicating to the nations of the world and those around us. This is the community in which salvation is not only proclaimed, this is the community in which God places those he saves. And it's a community of people from every tribe, people, language, and nation. It's a community. It's a community that knows how to love its enemies because it sees how its Lord loved its enemies and relies on the power of the Spirit for that love. You have been patient with us. You have been long-suffering with us. Help us as a community to exhibit that long-suffering and patience with our enemies as well, whoever they may be. 
so that, so that, so that, as you say in the book of Exodus, so that they may know that you are the Lord. Help us to live, not just believe our distinctiveness, but live in that distinctiveness. To the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name.